0: Amen. Well, we are going to keep going in our series, uh, Your Work. And this is the second week in this series. It's a new one for us. We talked about Avodah last week. We talked about the title of our faith and work ministry, which is Avodah. Uh, The word Avodah means worship or work. And so it's a word in the scripture that brings together both um, the, what we typically think of as sort of the mundane aspects of our life, the Monday through Friday aspects of our life, and what we oftentimes think of as the Sunday side of our life, our, our spiritual side, the two are actually much more intertwined than we would have thought. And the scripture uh, teaching on, on the word Avodah makes that very clear. So, um, I encourage you, if you missed it last week, to listen to that and to get sort of that foundational piece of uh, what it means to to think about our work in a biblical way. Today, uh, we're going to look at how God shows us how to work um, by embedding in us the very qualities uh, of His own character and nature, and in doing so, um, He 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 gives us a, 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 a points us the way for work. And so uh, we're going to look at the nature of God. But We're also going to see how the, as image bearers, we follow along the line of God to to carry out the work. How do we work? That's the question we're going to grapple with today. And we're also going to talk about the very important aspect of work which is the relationships that go along with almost all the work that we do so uh, i want to look at those two things first of all how do we work and how do we relate to others in the setting of work so first of all let's talk about work itself the Bible is often uh, summarized, and, and, and actually let me let me pause and uh, offer a Bible to you. If you need a Bible this morning, raise your hand. Um, we want to pass one to you so you can follow along in some of the scriptures that we're reading. Um, don't be shy. Go ahead and raise your hand. We want to pass the Bible out to you if you need one. And uh, I will tell you where to look in just a minute, but let me say a few things first. The Bible often is summarized in two words that... It's the story of creation, and it's the story of redemption. So the first 11 chapters are really about creation. And what we see in those first 11 chapters is starting from this beautiful picture of this glorious nest that God has created for us. Played for us to be fruitful and to multiply. um, And then that is tainted by sin. And the sin spreads in those succeeding chapters through chapter eleven, till all of God's all of God's created order is tinged by the sin that has entered in through the fall of Adam and Eve, and then we could, the, you know, the book could end right there in chapter eleven, Genesis chapter eleven, but it doesn't. God decides to intervene. And everything else that happens after Genesis chapter 11 is the plan of God's redemption of His fallen and broken world. And so we could say of God that He is the Creator and the Redeemer. That's fundamental to the nature of God, the character of God. He is both creator and he is redeemer. Now, there's something that happens in the middle of all that that we can add into it. He's creator, he's redeemer, but somebody needs to watch over this creation day to day and we find that God is also sustainer. So he's creator, he's redeemer, and he's sustainer. In Hebrews 1, it talks about Jesus upholding the universe by his hand. Also in Colossians 1, we have similar language. And so to start off with, let's think about God this morning as creator. Creator, sustainer, everything that continues to happen is sustained by God's hand. He upholds the world that he's made and redeemer. All the broken, fallen, darkness of this world is ultimately going to be redeemed by God. That's the work of God in the world. That's the work of God in the universe. He's creator, sustainer, and redeemer. And we are made in God's image, the Bible says. We are made in God's image. So we find that our work fits also into these buckets because in some ways who we are reflects who God is. Our work fits into these buckets of creation, sustaining, and redeeming. We get to be sort of an extension of what God has already done. So let's just play with this a little bit. What kind of jobs, just call them out, what kind of jobs are creative kinds of jobs? Jobs where we participate um, bearing the image of God in the creative aspect of the character of God. What's that? Steve? Steve Steve Jobs. Steve Jobs, (laughs) okay. (laughs) Somebody? Writer, filmmaker. Architect, nice. Inventor, Inventor. Inventor right? Teacher, T- teacher okay. Uh, architect. architect, yep. Chemist, Chemist. Mathematician. mathematician, yeah. All right. So, so let's let's talk about says. So what are some? Throw out some sustaining jobs. What kind of work do people do that sustains? <laughs> yes. <laughs> Thank God for tech support. Yes, absolutely. What else? Agriculture. Agriculture. Okay. Good. Homemaking. Homemaking. All right. Yeah. Ordering and. It, uh, Sorry. Parody. Parenting. Yes. Yes. What's that? Business. Business. Yeah. Okay. That could and, and some of these can fall in lots of different buckets. Right. All right. Plumbing, yes. <laughs> I, I laugh because I know Kevin comes from a family of, uh, of plumbers. So, <laughs> What's that? Gardener. Gardener. Absolutely. Accountant. Accountant. Absolutely. Policeman. Policeman, yeah. We're sustaining, what's there? One over here? Medicine. Absolutely. All right, let's go uh, to the last one, which is redeeming. What kinds of things do we do that redeem the brokenness and fallenness of this world? When, when do we get to participate in our work in, in that? Social worker? Yeah. Sharing the gospel? Okay, good. There was another one. Doctor. Doctor, yeah, also. Yeah, hopefully. (laughs) Hopefully, Pastor, (laughs) on a good day. Environmental science. Environmental science, yes. There's more. Parents? Yeah, some of these fall in multiple buckets, right? One more. Contractor. Contractor. Yeah, who's doing like a remodel or something, right? (laughs) redeeming and old, totally, absolutely, good. Okay, so you get the idea that that when you start to think about what it is that people do, what we do fits into a lot of these buckets, the creation, the sustaining, and the redeeming, because we're made in the image of God, and we find that our work fits into those buckets. So what that says to us is our work fits into a larger vision of what God is doing in His work, which is creating, sustaining, and redeeming. Uh, our work gets to fit into that. And if you go to Genesis one twenty-eight. so if you want to open your Bible to page 1, we'll take a look at it. I'm also, also going to put it up here. We're going to look at multiple different scriptures today, so I'll put it up. Genesis 1, 28. Um this is the scripture that has been often referred to as the cultural mandate, the cultural mandate. Um, that's sort of the technical term that's given to this scripture, Genesis one twenty-eight. And Genesis one twenty-eight says... Right there in the creation, remember this is before the fall, this is in the garden. And God blessed them and God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God has given us this mandate to go out and make things and create things and do things and organize things and take this raw world that he's given to us and and, and do something with it, okay? So I love how Tim Keller defines the the cultural mandate. If if you go to the next slide, um, we'll put that up for you. He says, the cultural mandate is a call to develop a culture and build a civilization that honors God. It's a call to develop a culture and build a civilization that honors God. Now, it's right about this moment where we encounter a tension in the scriptures that we have to grapple with. And this tension uh, affects how we talk about our work... Uh, how we talk about culture-making, and a lot of disputes that you hear between Christians are often centered around uh, a different view on this particular tension. And people don't realize they have a different perspective, and so they're arguing on a superficial level, but there's a deeper question that has to be grappled with, and that is it has to do with the nature of the cultural mandate. What we see in Scripture are a couple of different teachings that we have to kind of hold in tension. And I would say you could you could sort of analyze it like this. Does this is the question. Does God God care about people only or people and what they make? Does God ultimately really really care about people only or does he care about people and what they make or what they do? That's the tension. And some people will fall more on the one side, and some people will fall on the other side. And they'll oftentimes use Scripture to bolster their their opinion. So on the one side, you've got this creation mandate, which seems to say that God cares not just about us as human beings, but about what we do and what we create, what we make, what we sustain, what we redeem. God, God cares about the work that we do in the world. And probably the most powerful statement, underscoring the value of what we do is to look at the overarching storyline of Scripture and to see that we start in a, a raw garden, okay, that's sort of untamed maybe. Um, people haven't tinkered with it yet and really made stuff. And where do we end in the Bible? We end in a city, okay, which is a cultural thing. The city is a product of culture, of people making things. And so it seems to be saying that God cares not just about people, but about what we do. So that's one side of the scriptural teaching, but there's another one, and we see this very strongly in Second um, Peter, probably the place where we see this most strongly. Second Peter, uh, and I'll just read it to you, uh, chapter three in a couple places, but let me read just verses uh, 11 and following. He's talking about the end of the world, and Peter says this. He says, since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for the hastening of the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. Now, are you feeling the tension there? So in some of the scriptures, everything dissolves, everything melts away. It's all gone, nothing's left, but people enter into the new heaven and new earth. And yet we have the other scriptures where it seems to indicate that there's some some sort of consistency. The, The culture that people make matters to God and even carries forward into the new heaven, new earth on some level. And depending on where you fall along that continuum... You will. it will shape the way you think about your work. So if you focus on everything melting away and completely dissolving, then you're not going to have a high view of what we do in this world. You're going to think, well, it's all going to melt. It's all going to dissolve away. And so what does it matter? And the result of that might be that you will tend to separate what you do on Monday through Friday from your spiritual life. So that's an important consequence of, of that perspective. Now the bad side of that would be is if you and this happens in some settings where the focus is so much on the culture that we lose sight of people. And we focus not just on what we make and, and how that's going to carry through to heaven. We forget that there are image bearers in the world who are of the greatest value. They're the most valuable thing in, in God's created world. And we and we lose sight of that. So, on the one side, we can focus, uh, everything can dissolve away, and it doesn't matter. And then on the other side, we can have this extremely high view of what we do and the, the culture that we make to the detriment of the value of, of human beings. And that happens sometimes as well. And, and, and I, my perspective is that we need to live in this tension, that both, both matter. Clearly, people matter most. That... We just can 't argue with that. There is no redemption apart from the redemption of people made in the image of God. In fact, in Romans eight, we read that basically the redemption of people is the forerunner to the redemption of all things you got to have the because because the fall of people was the whole the reason of the, the, the brokenness and the fallenness of the rest of the world, the sin of the, the first Adam and Eve is why everything else fell apart. So, so as image bearers, there is a value on people that's greater than all else. And yet that doesn't mean that what we do doesn't matter. The things that we make, the work that we that we carry out, the the, the things that we redeem, the, the broken things in our world, that matters too. Um, what you create will somehow, there'll be some, it seems, some lasting significance to what we do on this earth. Um, and, and it's it's unclear exactly how that will happen. But the scripture seems to lean in that direction, that that what we do now matters in an eternal kind of a way. I always appreciate um, Tolkien and C.S. Lewis because they help us to try to imagine sometimes how these things that are hard for us to grasp and get our minds around can take place. And in one of Tolkien's short stories called Leaf by Niggle, you've probably heard me mention this before, In one of these short stories, he grapples with this concept of how is it that the things that we do in this world will transcend and carry over into the new heaven and new earth. And the story of Leaf by Niggle is a story of an artist who envisions a beautiful and glorious tree, and he sets about to paint and draw this beautiful tree on a a, a massive canvas, and it's going to be his, his greatest work. But day-to-day life keeps crowding in his neighbor gets sick and he has to help and somebody's at the door and he can never get the tree done and so he dies and he leaves a portrait of a leaf he he had in his mind the entire tree but all he got done was a leaf and he's in heaven and he's riding his bike along in heaven and he comes to a tree, and he stops, and he looks up at the tree, and he realizes it's his tree. It's a tree that he always wanted to finish, complete in this life, and he never got to. And there it is, completed in the new heaven and the new earth. Now, that's one person's creative attempt to try to figure out how there could be some continuity between what we do now and what we do in the future. Um... I don't know that we'll ever solve and be able to answer the question exactly how that works. But the scripture teaches us to have hope, to know really at the end of it that what we do matters. The work that we do, the things that we create and sustain and redeem matter in this life. And they have eternal significance. And so we should not partition them off from our spiritual lives. Dorothy Sayers writes this. In nothing has the church so lost her hold on reality as in her failure to understand and respect the secular vocation. She has allowed work and religion to become separate departments and is astonished to find that, as a result, the secular work of the world is turned to purely selfish and destructive ends and that the greater part of the world's intelligent workers, this is going on, and have become irreligious or at least uninterested in religion." Now, I don't know if that's entirely true, but it certainly, uh, to some degree, it is the case. And it happens more and more as we hive off our work lives from our spiritual lives. And God intends for us to have them integrated. And it's all rooted in that culture, that creation, that cultural mandate in the beginning. Um, What we do with what God has made matters to God in an eternal kind of way we're creators we're we're partnering with God in the continued process of creation and sustaining and redeeming and of course he does all the work but some in some amazing way he allows us to partner with him in it and that's a beautiful gift for us to be able to live into the creative opportunities that we have to live into the sustaining opportunities that we have and the redemptive opportunities that we have. It's a beautiful, beautiful gift that God has given to us. What you do matters to God. Your work matters to God. So keep on creating, you know. Keep on sustaining if that's the work that you're doing. Keep on redeeming what is fallen and and broken and sin-tinged in our world. Keep on doing it because it matters. That's really the first point, but but we've got to keep that in, in 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 relation to the second point, which is how do we relate to people in the work setting? Because whenever we're creating, almost always when we create, when we sustain, when we redeem, we're doing it in partnership with others, and that matters to God as well. The relationships of work matter to God as well, and God shows us that. It's oftentimes in the relationships of work that we get to work out verses like Colossians 4, 5, and 6. So uh, if you want to turn there, um, I believe it's page 680 in that Bible. Or you can look at it up here, Colossians 4, 5, and 6. It says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Or conduct yourself wisely is another way to translate that toward outsiders making the best use of the time let your speech always be gracious seasoned with salt so that you may know how you ought to answer each person and i would submit to you that it's in the workplace where we probably most often get to live out this scripture and the many other scriptures that speak in this way Uh, In the workplace are image bearers all around us. And we have opportunity to be in daily contact, living life, doing life, blessing them, them blessing us, being in relationship with them. And so we've got this great opportunity to relate to them in the way that God relates to us through Jesus Christ. Now, there's two modes in Colossians 4, 5, and 6 here. There's walking and speaking. And walking is oftentimes in Scripture a a word that that refers to what we do. So so if you wanted to say, in a different way, you could say there's there's words and deeds. When we think about our relationships, we have to think about our words and our deeds, our actions and our speech, our walking and, and our speaking. And, and, and if we break it down that way, we can think through uh, a little bit how um, we might relate to others in the workplace. One of my favorite quotes of all time was what one church father uh, way back said about another church father, Ambrose, who, who when he spoke, um, spoke with tremendous power. And when this other church father was analyzing why, he said, his speech is like thunder because his life is like lightning. His speech is like thunder because his life is like lightning. So the way that we live affects the way that people hear us speaking. Um, and that's scary. It's scary for me when I think about that sometimes. Um, but, 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 but it's true, and God helps us in the scary part of it, which we'll, we'll say something about. But, but just that concept, just sit with that for a minute, that, that the connection between our words and our deeds is great. I want to commend to you a book written by um, Bill Peel and Walt Larimore. It's called Workplace Grace, Workplace Grace. And in this book, um, the two authors tell the story of a young doctor who uh, he and his wife have a child, and this child ends up being seriously ill with a genetic disease. And they have to drive uh, multiple times a week 400 miles to the children's hospital to take care of this child. And yet he's continuing to try to live out his work in the hospital as a doctor with lots of pressures and all kinds of challenges there. And uh, one day, uh, somebody that is working for him makes a very serious mistake uh, in caring for a, a patient, and he has to call this person out. And of course, you know, overtired, overtaxed, um, overwrought. Um, he he goes to this person and very gently and carefully instructs and corrects this person so that it won't happen again, and that, you know, somebody's life won't be put in in jeopardy. And there's another doctor who happens to be standing right behind him. He doesn't know that he's standing there. He's standing right behind him. And after he's finished correcting and admonishing this person, the doctor says, taps him on the shoulder and says, if you were a preacher, I would go to your church. And The authors of this book, Bill Peel and Walt Larimer, they say, look, people, we are all preachers. We are all preachers. And the way that we conduct ourselves, um, the way that we treat the people around us, that's part of how we communicate uh, the message of the gospel. It's a very important... And and I know that's incredibly intimidating. It is to me when I think about that. And and you need to know you're not going to bat a thousand on this. You're going to mess up. Okay? That's what grace is about. You're going to mess up. And that's why we have this one little phrase that's so useful in life. I'm sorry. Right? When you mess up and then you apologize to somebody, you uphold your testimony. Do you see that? So we don't have to be perfect. I mean, God's working in us and and, and we're going to love people. And then when we fail, we say, I'm sorry. And we uphold our testimony. And it's part of the way that we relate to people in the world. And if it's intimidating for us, maybe maybe that's a good thing because it will drive us deeper into our spiritual growth. We need to grow to be the presence in our workplaces that God has called us to be. So if you're struggling, good. Get your Bible out. You know, get into your home group and tell people how you're struggling. And, and seek prayer, seek God's wisdom, seek the help of the Holy Spirit so that you can navigate the often, I know they're extremely complex relationships that often take place in a work setting. I know it's complicated, but God's wisdom is great enough to meet those challenges. And His Spirit is powerful enough. And we've got to be careful not to separate our work lives from our spiritual lives. And we've got to walk and conduct ourselves in a way that allow others to see the gospel in our lives, working itself out. But it's not just our deeds, it's also our speech. We've got to speak as well. Elton Trueblood, who was um, chaplain at Stanford and Harvard and advisor to numerous presidents, he says this, The person who says naively, I don't preach, I just let my life speak, is, strong, is insufferably self-righteous. None of us is good enough to witness by our life alone. None of us is good enough to witness by our life alone. And so our, our deeds have to be partnered with our words. And I like that this quote comes from somebody who was not in an easy context. I mean, to be a chaplain at, at Harvard or Stanford or several other universities where he worked or to be the confidant of presidents, uh, that's not an easy context in which to share your faith. And yet um, he understands this, this absolutely critical point. And I think sometimes we're, we're a little bit too fearful. If I, were to, if I were to speculate from the few data points I have, most of us tend to the side of being overly fearful when it comes to speaking about our faith. We're afraid of the consequences. We're afraid of what could happen. We're afraid of, really, most often, what somebody will think of us. And we have to get over that. And the thing that helps me to get over that is to think about the great sacrifice of Jesus Christ. When when Jesus came to speak to us, Jesus is the living Word of God. Okay? And He speaks, and, and, and He lives... You know, the whole Gospel of Matthew is divided into word and deed. It's broken up chapters, first the first chapters on what Jesus did, then on what he said, and then more on what he did, and then what he said. And it alternates all the way till he gets to Jerusalem. Because Jesus did both of these. He, he loved people and ministered to them, and then he was fearless in his speech. He told them the truth, even when it was difficult And that word and deed combination is what we are called on to exhibit in whatever environment, but that includes in our workplaces because the relationships there matter, the people there matter, they're image bearers. And God has shown us what incarnational ministry looks like. When He stepped into this world, taking on human flesh and all the problems and struggles and challenges that we face, He gave us the model, and it was hard, and it involved sacrifice. And sometimes it involved taking up, it involved for him taking up his cross. Sometimes for us, it involves following. He says, follow, Take up your cross and follow me. And sometimes we're just going to have to take up our cross and speak the thing that the Holy Spirit has put on our hearts to speak to the people around us. Because we can't do it just by our deeds, we need to be proclaiming the gospel as well.